Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. As many of you know, I came to the pastoral calling later in life. While I may be gifted in some areas of the work, there are others that still seem a little strange. For example, the idea that people might actually listen when I tell them how to live their lives. Don't get me wrong, I've always had strong opinions about how people should live. It's just that I'm not used to those opinions carrying so much weight. For me, it's always been important to distinguish clearly between my opinion and what the Bible clearly teaches, in part because, as a pastor, even my opinions may receive a lot of extra deference. In this episode, thanks to Cameron's questions, I'm going to share a lot of very personal, subjective advice. What I'm going to observe isn't necessarily spelled out in Scripture, but I hope it's at least informed by what the Bible teaches. I'll let you be the judge. I imagine that a question that pastors like yourself get a lot, one question would be something like this. What is God's will for my life? I kind of want to talk about that question, both, you know, how do we interpret God's will, but also how do you counsel people as a pastor about that question and broadening the question a little bit as well. I'd like to talk about vocation and calling. So obviously that's related to how Christians think about their lives, but what does it mean to have a calling from God and how do you, how do you counsel people there? So this is, (laughs) this is a counseling session for me a little bit, but I'm curious, do you get that question a lot? Yes, probably the, the two biggest areas where people wonder, you know, what is God's will for my life are going to be like at a certain stage in life, the question of marriage, right? You know, how do I find the right person for me? How do I know who the right person is? And then, as you say, work. I think work is one that, unlike marriage, is a not just a season of life, but like a perpetual question. And and we could even argue that today, in the 21st century, it is a it's a live question mm-hmm. for more people in more phases of their life than it used to be. You know, we we no longer choose a path and then follow it through the course of our lives. It's pretty typical for people to reinvent themselves through changes of work, profession, going back to school, getting new qualifications, that sort of thing, starting a new career, um, just much more frequent than it used to be. So yeah, both of those areas. And I think the lessons from one can apply to the other. Mm -hmm. Uh, When people start asking questions like, how do I know if this person is the one God has for me, um, the sort of dating slash marriage questions, my first instinct is always to de-romanticize things. Hmm. Because I think a lot of the way that we think about these choices comes from, you know, historically a very recent way of thinking about love and marriage 
and a very recent way of thinking about ourselves. Uh, a lot of people, certainly if, if you look at the Bible, uh, a lot of marriages in the Bible, a lot of relationships in the Bible start through, you know, arrangements that we would say are very unromantic. <laughs> and so when we ask ourselves, you know, what is God's will for this situation? Um, I, I always want to look at it through that more biblical lens. And so the kind of advice I give is much more, uh, you know, God's will is for you to be faithful in the relationship that you're in hmm. and to build a marriage that is the one that you are shooting for rather than um, hitting the reset button and trying to you know, get lucky the next time. Yeah. If that makes sense. So does that mean then that you could get married to anyone? Is that sort of, that's kind of what it sounds like. Right. You know? Well, and just be faithful to the person you're with. I know that if I say yes to that question, it sounds so heartless and unromantic. But again, <laughs> speaking from a biblical standpoint, um, I'm going to say yes. That um, I, I'm not saying you should you should just randomly marry whomever, and th right. that you shouldn't put any thought into that or whatever. But but in in a larger sense, I think we tend to see the the decisiveness of decisions like this in a way that that is not entirely i don't know biblically plausible let's say in other words there are probably a variety of people who could be the right person for you but the one that you marry once you've married them is the right person for you mm -hmm. and the calling in your situation is to make that work. I'm not saying that's always what's going to happen in a fallen world. Obviously yeah. um, that isn't always going to work out, but, but as a general rule, that is the expectation that we would have in scripture. And, and so I think especially for people who, you know, you're married and then you're having second thoughts, is, is this really the right person for me that I make a mistake? Those kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. My advice is always going to be, now is your time to build the thing that you long for. You're not going to just find it. And and I think that's maybe the, the, the place where there's some overlap. Because the romantic idea is that we will have whatever it is that we long for if we just knock on the right door or choose the right person mm -hmm. or make the right decision. And as a result of that, we're constantly being let down by our decisions and our choices because they don't deliver on the dream. Mm. Well, I mean, the reality is, of course they don't, because that is a dream that has to be built. It's not just handed to you as a result of, you know, making one decision. So in most cases, if you're struggling with, you know, the decisions that you've made, whether or not you've made the right decisions, I want to alleviate some of that anxiety and instead encourage you to make the most of the place that you find yourself in and actually build something where you're at instead of constantly uh, second-guessing. Hmm. And if you think about that, that, that can apply to a lot of different life situations. You know, uh, marriage is maybe the, the most 
um, like ultimate high stakes situation. But I think it's true for a lot of relationships, friendships, certainly true in churches. You know, we have a tendency to think that we will just find the perfect church. And as you know, someone who's been involved in planting a church, I can tell you that, that you don't find the perfect church. You build mm. the perfect church and it, it never is perfect. Yeah. Like it's always an idea that, that you're pursuing. It's never a reality. And yet over time, more and more, it begins to look like the thing that you dreamt of. Right. That's true in a marriage. That's true in a church. It's true in a community. Mm. You know, we, we're constantly... Um, building and improving and bringing things closer to our, our dream of what they are, or we're just starting over. And I think that's kind of the fundamental, um, let's say like, you know, the, the fork in the road, mm. like, am I going to build on what I have or am I going to start over and hope that this time I get something better? Right. I have so many thoughts, actually, but I'm thinking of this quote by Stanley Hauerwas, the theologian. He's kind of famous for saying that you always marry the wrong person. Hmm. And he was, it was kind of tongue in cheek when he said that, but he, he meant that something like what you're saying, that it's not so much about finding the one person, but it's, it's about making it work with who you're with. But I think if you flip that on its head, there's a sense in which you always marry the wrong person. There's a sense in which you always are with the right person or, you know, always with the right job or church, you know, barring all the exceptions, of course. But I think that we could learn something from what you're saying. Like, it's not about finding necessarily the ideal, but working toward the ideal. So, yes. And, and of course, you know, it doesn't have to be either or. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think of course we 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 go through some sort of process of choosing, right? Like I say, you don't just randomly walk up to a stranger <laughs> on the street and say, "You know what? It doesn't matter who I marry, as long as I do my best right. to make it a good marriage, I choose you." And of course, you're you're going to do some level of due diligence mm -hmm. or whatever. And the same thing with the church, right? I'm not saying just pick a random church to go to. It doesn't matter what kind of church it is, what they believe, whatever. You know, just just make it work. No, but recognize that you're going to do that homework and you're going to do your best to make the right decision. But then, and I think Harawas captures it exactly, once you've made that decision and you've committed to the best thing you could find, prepare yourself for disappointment. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to realize that you've made this big choice and you're going to wake up the next day, the next week, and you're going to realize it's not what you thought. And there are some real problems mm. and maybe you made a mistake and you're going to ask yourself these questions. Um, you're going to find, and again, this, this applies across the board. Um, 10 years into your marriage, you're going to look at marriages of friends of yours, contemporaries, and you're going to wonder like if you're as far along as you should be compared to them in your career. Same thing. You're going to look at what your contemporaries, uh, people who graduated the same year as you, where are they at in their careers? And you're going to compare yourself to them and you're going to ask yourself, wait a second, did I, did I make the wrong move? And so that's a natural thing. You are going to experience it. 
my point is, from a pastoral perspective, how you interpret that experience. Because if you're one of those people who, when you feel that, takes it too seriously and thinks you've got to act on it, unfortunately, the, the, the kind of life that that produces is like a life of start and stops and a life of perpetual disappointments. Like there's always going to be disappointment, but if, if you never like build things to, to make it better, if all you ever do is start over, then you're constantly going to be in that same place. And like, if you're listening to this, you probably know people who seem like they're stuck in this cycle. Hopefully you're not one of them, but, <laughs> but you've got friends who every couple of years are, are back in the same situation they were in. They've, they've made new choices that turned out to be the same choices as before. And now they're kind of facing the same challenges and it seems like they just can't get ahead and it seems like they're stuck in this cycle. And that's essentially what, what I'm counseling against that, that there's going to be an urge to act on that sort of romanticized idea, that individualistic, um, I make big choices that shape my identity. And if I make the wrong ones, then, then the thing to do is undo them while I still can mm-hmm. so that I can still have a shot at being my, my best self. Silence that voice. <laughs> Take a, say, like a larger view, a more cosmic biblical view of these things. Put them in their proper perspective. And then tell yourself where I am is where God has brought me. He's here with me and he's going to be side by side with me as I work to build a better situation here mm. and ask yourself, what does that look like? And and then go from there. So you asked about, you know, careers and, and I think you can, you can see how this could be applied to those kinds of questions as well. Yeah, and I almost think it's it's more of a challenge for us to apply that thinking to career because we understand that, I mean, generally speaking, like a marriage, okay, you know, this is for life. Like we have some residual understanding there, but a career is just a career. Like, you know, why not change jobs every couple of years if I can make a little more money, if I can get a, a better title? So, and you mentioned just the nature of our society, it's gotten easier to do that and we feel we feel that upward mobility and I guess some of it's good, you know, I'm not saying it's all bad, but having all the possibilities and the options makes it all the more tempting to, to look at my current situation and feel discontent, I think. Right. I mean, some of it is aspiration and some of it is necessity. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the reasons why we have so many changes in the modern world is because, that idea of like a lifetime employment has kind of gone by the wayside. And so a lot of people would like to just choose a job and stick with it, but don't have that luxury just because of changes in the workplace. And so um, it isn't all just because we've sort of collapsed identity and work, but there is something in that as well. I, I think that we have a couple of tendencies that, work to undermine us these days, maybe in, in 
in ways that weren't so typical before. So one of them is the fact that it's it's so easy and so ordinary to just shift gears, uh, to you know go back to school, retrain, mm-hmm. do something else. We're all kind of funneled through the educational system anyway at the same pace, whether we know what we want to do with our lives or not. So it's not unusual for people to realize after they're out of college that the thing that they studied is not really what their passion is and and all that. So there's a lot of those kinds of factors. And like I say, they're they're similar to the, the relationship motivations, but the stakes are lower. And so I think this is an area where we're, we're more likely to give ourselves permission, let's say, to follow our hearts yeah. than we would in a marriage. Mm-hmm. However, again, I want to suggest that there is something that we long for in work that is only possible to attain over time through building it it's not something you just interview for and receive. And, and that, I think, is the key, that oftentimes we imagine that the, the, the pathway into the calling that, that I feel drawn to is going to be through, you know, I'm going to take a new job or I'm going to, you know, shift gears, new career, whatever it is. But again, that's just entering through a door, that's not the same thing as arriving at a destination. To arrive at the destination, you actually have to build something up. So, I mean, I think of this a lot as, as a writer because one of my great regrets as a novelist was how long it took me to actually write a novel. Hmm. Uh, when I was in college, I finished a manuscript and technically wrote a novel, but, but if you read it, you would say, well, I don't know that you wrote a novel. <laughs> you, you wrote a novel-length piece of prose. But, uh, you know, and so, I mean, it took me a while. And and so, and, and I'm also not nearly as prolific as I, I wish I was. And so I recognize that if, if I was the person who, who just doggedly churned out a novel a year, year after year, I would be so much farther in that goal than I am currently, right? And in a sense, you could look at my example and say, but Mark, aren't you a product of, of exactly the opposite of the advice that you're giving? Because, you know, you're a novelist who became a pastor. Mm-hmm. Isn't that like a, a big shift? Yes, it is. And so I, I'm not... Um, I guess I'm speaking with some degree of of understanding right. of what the challenges are. Mm-hmm. That if you have aspirations in your career, one thing that would really help is like a long term commitment to that work, mm-hmm. and whether it's you know just by doing the job or finding creative ways to advance yourself in that same line. That's building over time, whereas what we tend to do is kind of just become discontent where we're at and just look for something new that might fit us better. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe you're in a situation where that seems like it's the only option. I just want to suggest be patient, look mm-hmm. around and ask yourself if it really is the only option before you make that move. Yeah. 
I've read studies about how people, you know, when, when people put in the time to develop the skills necessary to do a job well, that's when the satisfaction starts coming. It's with almost a kind of competence to do the job rather than just getting some job and, you know, quote unquote, having this position. It's actually the competence to do it well. And until you get to that point, it might feel like you always have the wrong career. Just like, and I'm thinking, I'm trying to apply Hauerwas's phrase, you, you kind of always marry the wrong person. Maybe you're always kind of in the wrong job. Like there's a sense in which it's never going to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect at it. But I think like you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is if you, if you put in the time, if you, if you invest, if you commit to it, rather than just going off to find something totally new, it could become the thing that you're dreaming of in a, in a way. Can I add another complication? <laughs> yeah. So I think at this point we should distinguish between like work and calling a little bit more. Yeah. I wanted to ask about calling, how, how that yeah. fits into all this. Because I think so far the way that I've been speaking, I, I'm just talking about jobs, you know, and, and, and career paths. And what I want to put out there is the idea that, it may be that your work does not correspond to any particular job description or career path. Uh, practically speaking, you know, a lot of people work multiple jobs or have these sort of hybrid professions. But, but what I'm talking about is the idea of a divine calling, a work that God is, is giving you to do, and that part of your task is to figure out how the pieces fit together. So I, I use myself as an example earlier, as, as a novelist who becomes a pastor. Well, in order to kind of understand that complicated calling, I had to come to a realization that they could both be part of the same work, mm -hmm. that it wasn't an either or, that it was a both and. And once I realized that, it seemed painfully obvious, but until that moment, it was inconceivable to me that both of those things could be part of my work. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are in that situation as well, where we, we are defining our work solely in terms of the job that we do. And in our culture, a lot of sort of weight in terms of identity comes from that job description. I am what I do for a living. And I value myself according to what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. So that it makes sense to us that like, if you're a lawyer, of course, you're going to feel a lot better about yourself than if you are a janitor, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because we have a sense that, you know, one kind of work is more valuable than another. And Oftentimes, it has to do either with, with social prestige or money, obviously. Yeah. But what if God has a calling for us and our greatest fulfillment is going to be finding that work? And it's not really going to be about the money or the social status that goes along with it. What I'm describing is not the way I grew up thinking. I, you know, through no fault of 
my parents, teachers, mentors, or anyone like that, I, I was very much driven by the idea of how much money you make in a job and how much status comes along with it. And I thought of it as sort of a like a mature position to recognize that maybe you would take less money in a position that that gave you more status as a result. You know, <laughs> so that to me seemed like a noble trade-off, uh, not realizing that it's still currency, you know, it's right. still still payments. And what what had to happen for me was meeting people in the church who had discovered this thing that I'm describing long before I did and who had found work to do, whether it was, you know, professional work, whether it was in ministry, whether it was just serving people in the community or a combination of all of those things. And they did it really without a lot of thought about how much money they would make or how much status they would have because they were called to it and because they found fulfillment in it because it was what God had given them to do. If you start thinking that way, you will find that you are (laughs) much more focused on, on building a vision of work that is you know, God-given and that is fulfilling to you as a human that serves other people and the money and the status, they may be part of it, but they're not what drives it primarily. So you'll find yourself willing to forego those things in order to do the work God's actually given you better. My frustration with the language of calling, honestly, is that sometimes Christians in particular seem prone to use that as a justification for the the career move or for some other big thing that nobody else saw coming. But all of a sudden, I feel this calling. And while obviously I believe that God calls individual people even to do specific things with their lives, I it's like, how do you respond to that? You know, how do, how do I say, well, I don't know if you, you are called to that, actually. Or if, or if I'm called to this specific thing, you know, but sometimes we use it as almost a cop out just to do the thing that we want, but it's, and that's why the the conversation around calling gets so difficult. But then I think like what you're saying, when you see someone that's doing it, it feels different than somebody who's wielding it as an argument. This is my calling. It's different than somebody who's just living it out. And you, you know, like, oh, they don't care about status or money or any, you know, they're, they're doing this because they have to do it in a sense. And that's why they're doing it. That's a good point. A lot lot of times the language is similar, but what you're actually witnessing is very different. I I know anyone who has spent any time in the church will be familiar with the process of spiritualizing. There are always people who, (laughs) they describe their emotional state as if it's a work of the spirit. So, you know, they wrestle with God and they pray for direction. And then lo and behold, he gives them permission to do the thing that you knew they were going to do from the beginning (laughs) because you know them and you know that they're rationalizing what they want to do and they're calling it the spirit, right? And so we see that. On the other hand, if you've ever experienced this, this real sense of calling that, that, is not just you satisfying your desires or justifying the things that you want to do, even if Mm -hmm. they're not the right thing to do, but genuinely is like an epiphany, you know, like a a, a discovery 
then you see that sometimes we use the same words to describe very different experiences. I think if you're experiencing that, that real sense of calling, I'm not saying drop everything and follow it without you know, thinking things through. I, I don't actually believe that that's the way God directs us, that, that he's constantly giving us, you know, heading in that direction. No, no, wait, turn right. around and go in the other mm-hmm. direction. Mm-hmm. I think the calling of God works uh, in ways that are, are different from what look more like the, the whims of the heart. But he does work in us, and you will find yourself suddenly having your eyes open to a possibility that just never seemed like that was doable. And oftentimes, those epiphanies, those revelations come as a result of work. I shared this in uh, Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, but uh, again, circling back to the idea of romanticizing things, you know, as you know, in, in the arts, there's a romanticization of the process of creation where, <laughs> you know, people, talk, they wait for inspiration. You know, the muse is going to strike and then, then I will put pen to paper and I found in this museum shop this folder, and, and written on it are these words. And it's a Japanese brand, so it's like English words, but but in this sort of charmingly not the way we would say this in English <laughs> right. kind of phraseology. And uh, emblazoned on the front of this folder was the phrase, inspiration comes from working. Oh. And I saw that, and I was like, that's so right. And... So I have like five or six of these folders that I put my little little work in just as a reminder, you're not waiting for inspiration. You're, you're going to work and then the inspiration will come. Well, I think what's true in creativity is true in life as well. It's true in relationships. Uh, marriages get better over time as you work on them. And 20 years in, you will be amazed at how much better that relationship is than it was in the beginning, even though it'll be very different from what you imagined a good marriage would look like. And you'll find that that what you value is different than, than what it was at the beginning. And the same thing is true in work. You have ambitions, and those ambitions may never be satisfied. You have dreams for yourself, and they may never come true. And yet, in pursuing this God-given call, you may find yourself more satisfied with the work that you actually do than you ever would have been with the dreams that once drove you. Mm -hmm. People chase money and status a lot. And it is so commonplace that you don't even have to point out that, that oftentimes the lives that result are, are empty. And yet at the same time, people who don't have a lot of status or a lot of money but have pursued that work that brings fulfillment live different lives, fuller lives. So again, a lot of this just has to do with ultimately what you're going to value. So if I was trying to sum it all up, I'd say this. Whenever I have a problem with my computer, um, I restart it. You know, I, I reboot and, and I hope that the problem is going to fix itself. 
The reason is I don't know what I would do beyond that. I don't know enough about computers to to fix anything that's broken if rebooting doesn't fix it. Unplug it and plug it back in. Exactly. (laughs) The problem is we treat our relationships and we treat our work the same way. And when we see that they're not perfect, when we see that something's not right, it's like the only thing we know how to do is reboot. We think a new relationship is going to solve it. A new job is going to solve it. A new environment is going to solve it. You know, whatever the change is that we think is going to turn the key and make everything make sense. Oftentimes, though, what we've got to do is, is figure out how to fix the problem that we have and how to build on it. Mm-hmm. So, again, pastoral advice. Don't give up on your situation. Uh, don't assume that just hitting the reset button is going to fix everything. And also don't assume it's your only option. Yeah. Be willing to rest, be willing to seek God's guiding where you are and be open to the idea that, that what he has for you might be a little different than what your idea of success is or your sense of your own identity might be, but that what he has for you will be better than, than what you would choose for yourself. That's all very helpful. And I can really add nothing, but I just want to say, I think it's fascinating to think about God calling us through our work because so often we, we think that God works almost despite our actions or our circumstances or our, or anything. So we just kind of sit around and look at the clouds and wait for God to zap me like, you know, like the muse and tell me what to do but what i hear you saying is that god can actually use the means of of your present situation to sort of push you towards a calling or or guide you into it and i'm not accustomed to thinking that way but i've certainly had experiences like that where again it's it's about almost commitment about faithfulness to where you are and then discovering along the way oh i think that i was meant to do this something like that Eugene Peterson has a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many different conversations that idea has come up in uh, just in the recent past where people are coming to realize that God has called them to this situation. You know, God has called them to this place, to, to this work. And what they need to do is kind of dig in and start building. And it's a beautiful thing to see people making that discovery and actually getting off the wheel of constant reinvention Mm -hmm. and trusting that, that God will bring them into all of the, the goodness that he has for them in the place that they're in. So, yeah, I think there's a lot more that we could say about this, but, but if, if you are listening and you're kind of thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not where I think I should be, what do I need to do? Um, love to talk about that more, but but a good starting point is don't do anything too rash <laughs> and, uh, and always, above all, seek the idea that God has something for you here that uh, is yours to discover.
that's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org. Thank you.